Thank you. Our reading for this evening's message is taken from Hebrews, the Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 5. So Paul writes, And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place, the scriptures say, What are people that you should think of them, or a, a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honour. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary For him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. We're following a series in our services at the moment, looking at the different titles of Jesus, and tonight we're looking at the author of salvation, found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It's a title of Jesus only found in the New International Version. It parallels the, the author of faith, found later on in Hebrews, the author of life, found in the book of Acts. 
And if you wanted to do a survey to find out which is the most popular Bible Bible translation among songwriters and hymn writers, this is a good way of doing it. Uh, Because the author of Salvation comes four times in in the 3,220 songs and hymns in, in Songs of Fellowship. Alternatives such as founder of salvation in the English Standard Version or uh, the pioneer of salvation in the new Revised Standard Version score, new point. So by a clear margin, albeit a small one, it's clear that that people who write songs these days prefer the new International Version to either of those two Bibles. And that's no surprise, really, given the evangelical stable where song and hymn writers come from. The New Living Translation talked about Jesus as our perfect leader. And uh, other, other translations speak about him uh, as the one who leads us to salvation. Uh, but the firm favourite in terms of translating that phrase in our songs is author of salvation. And that comes from the New International Version. Back in the good old days, before all these modern translations came and you only had the King James Version, it was captain of salvation. And sure enough, in some old hymns, you find the phrase, Captain of Salvation. You find it in uh, Christ is the world's true light. And you find it as well in We Rest on Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender, which we will use uh, to close our service. Author of Salvation, Captain of Salvation. I've got to say, Captain of Salvation sounds a lot more dynamic and exciting to me. The problem with finding the right translation, of course, is that the meaning of words is quite valuable. And the meaning of words changes to fit the context in which any particular word is used. So that word, author, captain, founder, pioneer, is put to a wide range of different uses. It can denote the founder of a city, founder of a family, founder of a school or a colony or a nation. It's a military word. It can be the leader or the scout of an army. It can be an instigator of trouble, someone who stirs things up. It can be the source or the author of good things. Literally, it means someone who causes something to begin. And there are those who like the idea of Jesus being a pathfinder, or a trailblazer, or a pioneer. Someone who who blazes a trail and opens up a path that no one else has gone before so that others can follow And that would fit Hebrews 2, verse 10, which talks about Jesus as the one God uses to bring many children to glory. Jesus goes where no man has gone before, so everybody else can follow him through the grave and into eternal life. Jesus goes ahead of us. He does all the hard work. All we have to do is follow in his footsteps. Fred Bruce sums this up well. He's the saviour who blazed the trail of salvation along which alone God's many sons could be brought to glory. Humankind, created by God for his glory, was prevented by sin from attaining that glory until the Son of Man came and opened up by his death a new way by which humanity might reach the goal for which it was made. As his people's representative and forerunner, He has now entered into the presence of God to secure our entry there. He's gone ahead of us. He's opened the door and we can follow. 
But if you look at the way in which the, the word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the idea of military commander is quite prevalent. Those 12 leaders that Moses sent in to scout out the promised land when Israel got cold feet and bottled it, that was, they were captains sent in to do that. And when Israel said, whenever we want to go back to Egypt, let's find a new leader to take us back there, it's that word that they used, someone who would lead them in the direction they wanted to go. When the Israelites were struggling in the period of the judges, they asked Jephthah to take command and lead them into battle against the Ammonites, to be their captain. There are distinct military overturns to how the word is used. And actually in Greek legend, the word is used of Hercules, to describe him as the champion who performs heroic feats. So it's a word which takes us a long way from the sedentary image of an author sitting in the study writing books, and even further from the traditional image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. If Jesus is the captain of our salvation, he comes out fighting for us. He comes out fighting to save and rescue his people and bring us safely home to glory. And when he comes into the world, he comes on what is in effect a dangerous search and rescue mission. Prepared to suffer, prepared to die, to do whatever it takes to bring his people home. The first ever search and rescue mission conducted by air took place in 1915, when Squadron Commander Richard Bell Davies of the British Royal Naval Air Service used his single-seat aeroplane to rescue his wingman, who had been shot down in Bulgaria. According to his Victoria Cross citation, Squadron Commander Davies descended at a safe distance from the burning machine, took up Sub-Lieutenant Smiley in spite of the near approach of a party of the enemy, and returned to the aerodrome, a feat of airmanship that can seldom have been equalled for skill and gallantry. Why do that? Why put yourself in harm's way? Why put your own life at risk? Because he was not prepared to let his wingman fall into the hands of the enemy. He was prepared to do whatever it took to rescue him and bring him home safely. And Jesus is not prepared to let any one of us fall into the hands of the enemy. Whatever it took, whatever the dangers, whatever the cost, whatever the risk, however much suffering, he was prepared to go through it to rescue you and me. We matter far too much to Jesus for him simply to abandon us to death. He came down from heaven to save us and to bring us home from glory. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the divine warrior who comes out fighting to save us and to rescue us at the cost of his own life. Because let's be quite clear, Jesus knew that this would be a suicide mission for him. He knew it meant the cross. He knew it meant not just suffering, he knew that he would lose his life in the process. His own death was the only way in which he could set us free from death. He, He shared our flesh and blood. He shared our humanity so that by his death he might destroy the devil who had the power of death and set us free from the fear of death. 
locked in mortal combat with the one who held the power of death, Christ overthrew him to release all those who have been enslaved by this evil tyrant. So the enemy Jesus comes to rescue us from is the devil. The one who holds the power of death and the one who has the capacity to use our fear of death and dying to enslave and imprison us. Death is a henchman in the devil's service and he uses the threat of death as an instrument to bludgeon humanity into submission. But, Hebrews 2, 14-15 says, Jesus came to destroy the devil and to set us free. He is the great liberator, the great rescuer, the captain of our salvation. How did Jesus' death destroy the devil, precisely? Hebrews is frustratingly short on detail here. Thumbnail sketch. Fill in the details for yourself. But Jesus' resurrection seems to have been the means of turning apparent defeat into glorious victory. On the cross as Jesus died, it seemed as if the devil had won. The most precious prize of all. The Son of God losing his life. What greater victory could there be? And yet... Three days later, it's all undone. The Son of God rising victorious over death and liberating all God's people from death as well. Jesus going into the jaws of death to rescue us from the dead. The day of resurrection, meaning the power of death over Jesus is broken and the devil himself defeated. In the Middle Ages, the tradition developed of celebrating the harrowing of hell on Easter Saturday. What did Jesus do between dying on Good Friday and rising from the dead on Easter Sunday? Well, the story was he went down to hell. And there he released all the captives whom Satan had held there. The harrowing of hell, bringing everyone out of the jaws of death into the presence of God. It's powerful, evocative, dramatic stuff. Jesus dying, giving up his life as a sacrifice to set us free. So when it comes down to translating Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, even though it's the authorised version which is 500 years old now or whatever, I still, I still would go for the captain of my salvation rather than the author of my salvation. The pen may be mightier than the sword. Goodness knows, I've never wielded a sword and I've written enough words over the years. But I far prefer the image of Jesus as a captain leading a rescue party to save me to the one of him sitting in the study writing the story of my life. And I wonder whether in abandoning military metaphors and moving away from talking of Jesus as our captain, modern translations have obscured one way of seeing how Jesus <coughs> came to save us. How his death and resurrection were a victory over the devil. He came to defeat and destroy the one who imprisoned us in our fear of death. And to lead us out of death into life and into glory. Our captain on a successful search and rescue mission to save us. And it taps into the idea as well of seeing death as an enemy 
an enemy whom we can never defeat. An enemy to whom sooner or later it seems that we must inevitably succumb. And we know, don't we, however much we kind of shove it into the dim and distant future, or maybe not so dim and distant for some of us, we know that one day we're going to die. And and one of the the lessons of life is, is coming to the point of acceptance of that. Coming to terms with our own mortality. Or coming to terms with the mortality of the people who are close to us. But it doesn't come naturally or easily. Something in us rises up against it and says, no, this is wrong. This isn't, this isn't how it should be. There is something fundamentally awful about this. And to some extent, that's, uh, that's our own inability to accept the inevitable. But to some extent, it, it is God who has placed in us a desire for life. The recognition that there is something wrong about our death. The recognition that God never designed it to end this way. It was never God's intention that our life should terminate in the grave. And there are times when we want to protest against that and say, this this shouldn't be happening, this is wrong. We don't want to go quietly and submissively into the night. We want to fight against it. In our blacker, bleaker moments, we may suppose that death threatens to render the whole of life a bit meaningless and pointless. In the darkness, it can feel as if life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But Jesus says, that's not the case. That's not true. That's not what it's about. Death does not nullify our life. Because his life overcomes death for us. And while we do have to face death, and the odds are unless Christ comes again we will go through death, it is not the end for us. And Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I am alive. And I, he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. I have overcome death for you. So you do not need to be afraid. You do not need to give into nihilism. You do not need to fall into despair. Because your life, your life is not a pointless waste of time. You matter. You are of infinite value to God. And how do we do that? Because you are far too important for God just to shrug his shoulders and cross your name off the list of the living when you die. In the sight of God, you are not just one more statistic, one more entry in the register of deaths. When God created you, he created you for life and for glory. And that's why every death creates in us a sense of frustration and loss. It's because we matter that our death or the death of someone we love strikes us as tragic, something we find difficult to accept. And Hebrews taps into that idea. Death is our enemy. It is the ultimate weapon of the one who who opposes us, the devil. Who seeks to trap us in the fear of death that can blight our lives. But Christ came to rescue us. 
Christ came to seek us out and to save us. Christ came to engage in mortal combat with the devil and to defeat him, even at the cost of his own life. And Christ is the one who came to set us free and bring us back to glory. Glory where we belong. The glory for which God created us. The glory in the presence of the God who made us because he loves us. Do you ever wonder whether you matter to God? Do you ever wonder whether your life is worth anything at all? Whether it has any point or purpose or meaning or significance? It does. It does. And how do we know this? Because God cares about you enough to send his own son on a heroic suicide mission to save you. To bring you back. Giving up his own life to defeat the devil. Laying down his life to smash the prison house of hell and bring you safely home. And one day, because of Jesus, because he is the captain of your salvation, one day you will be in glory because of the battle he fought for you, the victory he won for you, the rescue mission he came to save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the captain of our salvation. And when we are trapped, helpless, captives, our lives forfeit, nothing we can do to save ourselves. You planned and came to rescue us. And when the darkness surges in and we, we see no point and we feel worthless, feel as if death has robbed our lives of all meaning and significance and purpose, you say no, that's not how it is. You matter to God. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that by believing and trusting in him you might have eternal life. So Lord, you know where we are at the end of this year, at the end of this decade. You know those of us who feel trapped. You know those of us who are overcome by fear. You know those of us who are scarred by the death of someone close to us. You know those of us who are afraid of dying. You know those of us who feel that, that Death robs us of, of meaning or purpose or significance. Come to us. Rescue us.
Thank you that you are the author and captain of our salvation. And you succeed on the mission on which you embark. Thank you that you held back nothing to redeem and save us. You gave up your life that we might have our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being our saviour. Rescue us from wherever we find ourselves now. Lift us to our feet. And give us courage to follow you, to walk with you, to serve you, to fight against the darkness, and to live the lives you have given to us until the day we behold your face in glory. For in your name, Jesus, we ask these things.